Getting Smart's new Pathways campaign has showed us both the need for Pathways to quality jobs and the need for Pathways that prioritize a better future. Our recent publication, Green Pathways, focuses on programs, people, and possibilities at the intersection of the workforce and sustainability, an essential partnership to meet the pressing demand of climate change and federal policy. You can check it out at gettingsmart.com slash greenpathways or at the link in the show notes. Seth Gooden often says that leadership and problem solving are the two most important problems, uh, the two most important skills that young people should learn. And we appreciate those aspirations. And we think that means inviting young people into work that matters, work that matters to them and to their community. Uh, That means learning to spot opportunity and to frame uh, big problems, to take on new challenges to do community-connected or uh, client-connected projects using smart tools. It means sprinting and iterating to value, adding value uh, to a community. And that kind of hard, challenging work uh, often requires real-time skill building and mentorship. The best example in the world that we've seen of of this kind of work is done by The Knowledge Society. It's a Canadian startup now, seven years old, uh, founded by Naveed Nathu and his brother Nadeem. And uh, we've had the pleasure of having uh, Naveed on on the podcast before. Welcome back, Naveed. It's great to have you. Yes, let's do it. Part two. And uh, Naveed is with uh, Theodore and Rachel, two uh, TKS learners. All three of them are at a a conference in Switzerland uh, talking about making a dent in in the climate crisis. So we appreciate you guys taking time out of your your busy day. Naveed, what's new at TKS? So what's new is, well, one, we've grown a lot. So just much more students uh, and much more stories, which is great, but also our alumni. And so when you think about TKS, students join when they're 13, 14, 15, 16 years old. And so the amount of growth that they can have once they've hit university and post-university is exponential at that point. And so just in the past few years, we've had students you know, build very interesting companies. For example, uh, Jay Parthasarthi recently uh, joined a early stage company called Atomic Semi as a founding employee. They recently raised $20 million from OpenAI, uh, valued at $100 million valuation uh, building semiconductors. Uh, you have Hannah Lee, who's heading product at Latch Bio now. They raised over $30 million based in San Francisco, working on bioinformatics. Uh, Samarth, working on biosensors through Axiom. He's a Teal Fellow now. So if you're familiar with the the Teal Fellowship, they'll give you $100,000 if you wanted to take a gap year from school and build a company. Um, we also have students working on deep tech research at places like Harvard's uh, um, Longevity Labs with David Sinclair or Carnegie Mellon's uh, AI Labs. Actually, Shugan, who's at Carnegie Mellon, is now actually just started at SpaceX working on Starlink, which is developed or distributing internet access to the whole world. And one of her friends, Alishba, is working at Tesla. So Shuggins at SpaceX, Alishba's at, at Tesla working on battery technology. So I think we have most of the Elon Musk companies uh, checked now. So a lot, of, a lot of progress, I would say, more on what students are doing 
since we last talked, which is really exciting. A lot of stories. Uh, Naveed, you, you're uh, you're an in-person 10-month kind of youth accelerator, right? and you're in six cities now? Yeah, well, we, since inception, uh, I, I think COVID kind of put a, put a little hurdle in between it, but we've been in Boston, New York, uh, LA, Las Vegas, Vancouver, Calgary, Ottawa, and Toronto. And so uh, this year we're relaunching the New York program as well. So if there's anyone listening to this from New York, definitely check out the New York program that's relaunching this year. And you, um, in uh, during the pandemic, you you flipped to virtual. And are you still running the online program? We did actually. Funny enough, they're both from the virtual program. And so I think a lot of times people think the virtual program is you know less engaging or lower quality or something just by nature of it being online. But uh, you're going to hear very soon from from both of these uh, young people about their experience and what they're working on. And so yes, we do have virtual. That's grown a lot. I think this year we're at least at 13,000 applications from around the world from over probably, you know, 300, 400 different cities around the world. Um, but it's really trying to find the most driven, curious, ambitious young people who just want to make impact. And so a big misconception is these are the smart kids. It's like, no, it's not about your school grades. It's not about how many extracurriculars you've done. It's about your drive. Do you want to make impact? If so, TKS is probably a great place for you to go and meet like-minded people who also want to make some level of asymmetric impact. Rachel, I'd, I'd love to dive in and just learn specifically about the research project that you're working on. I think it's, it involves CRISPR in an in a, uh, agricultural application. Is that right? Yeah, you're exactly right. So for the past two years in TKS, I've been working on a project to understand why maize yields or corn yields in Malawi in Sub-Saharan Africa are five times lower than they are in the rest of the world. That's crazy. That's a 5x times lower. And that's not only just like food production wise, but it also affects small scale farmers in terms of um, like economics as well and their income levels. So I kind of went down this huge rabbit hole of, well, why are maize yields five times lower in Malawi? And I found that there were a bunch of different kind of reasons for this. So one is climate. So um, an increased level of droughts and just an increased temperature, like average temperature overall compared to the past 50 years. Another one is pests. Um, specific to Malawi is the maize stock borer. And there's also, there's a bunch of different ones, but what I kind of thought was instead of tackling each of these individual, you could almost say like root causes for this problem. So for example, like providing farmers with irrigation water or providing farmers with more fertilizer. I've been working on creating a transgenic or GMO strand of maize um, to actually just almost create a all-in-one solution to solve these kind of problems altogether. So I've been... I've identified the five key genes in the maize genome that correlate with all of these different changes. So for example, there's a gene called the IKRS gene, which I've found, which is super neat. And it is actually responsible for um, temperature growth, uh, sorry, for growth at high temperatures. So when you have, if you overexpress this gene and you can do this using CRISPR-Cas9, which is a gene editing tool, by overexpressing this gene, you can actually, uh, this results in the plant being able to survive in temperatures and conditions up to 15 degrees Celsius higher than normal. So yeah, that's been a bit of, bit of what I've been researching. 
All right, so let's go in the Wayback Machine. How in the world did you find this problem or how did this problem find you and what does that have to do with TKS? So how I found this, I've been, um, in TKS, we do these things called focuses where you work on different projects and emerging technologies. And I chose to do a gene editing focus and learn more about CRISPR and gene editing. One, because I just thought it was super cool. And also because I was super excited and kind of fascinated by the scale of impact it can make, both in healthcare to agriculture. And during this focus um, process, I was kind of researching and wanted to find different problems to work on that were kind of high impact. And then I think just kind of almost coincidentally uh, stumbled upon an article or a research paper and uh, specifically about like GMOs and the application of CRISPR in agriculture. And I ended up finding this stat that maize yields are five times lower in Malawi. And it's not just Malawi, it's in all different uh, developing countries and smallholder farmer communities. Yeah. Uh, Naveed, I would love some color commentary on what kind of experiences at, at TKS, um, how, do you, how do you create the, the, the breadth of exposure to exponential technologies, world problems, and then help a learner um, pick a problem and then make sure that that problem is connected to some real experts and clients? How in the world do you do that? So one of the things that we do is we just do a lot of things. So for example, uh, students have weekly sessions. In those weekly sessions, it is not lecture-based. You're always doing an activity or a project with other people. And so it might be around a certain uh, theme like genetic engineering or like blockchain, artificial intelligence, alternative energy, or it might be a session like called a hackathon where we give them a problem and then we train them on how to actually think through solutions. So how to use root cause analysis or how to brainstorm ideas, teaching them those underlying skills with the hackathon as kind of the excuse to use those skills. We also do something called global challenges where we work with large multinational companies around the world on problems that they're currently facing right now. And then students actually learn on how to get the data points for those problems by talking to real users or customers or stakeholders and creating recommendation decks like McKinsey would. So we worked with Amazon Alexa this year, uh, MasterCard Foundation, Switch Health, and CAE. Uh, last year, we worked with the United Nations. We worked with Shell, just a bunch of them. Uh, and then the other thing we do is in the first year program, we do something called moonshots at the end of the year. And so it's inspired by Google's moonshot factory, Google X. And the whole idea there is what is a big problem that we could potentially solve uh, in the next five to 10 years? So not today necessarily, but if we were able to solve it and cross a large technological chasm, it would change the world. And so taking a much larger horizon and then in our second year program, Activate, instead of moonshots, we do earth shots. And that concept is what is a problem that exists today that shouldn't? And how do you leverage all the training you've had in TKS for the past, at this point, it's almost two years, and apply it to a real problem now that, that nobody might be thinking about or executing on? So the TLDR, quick answer is we do a lot of different things, and that's just in sessions. And then there's the outside session learning. So Rachel just mentioned the focus process, and that's really a structurally unstructured process where you figure out what you're passionate about by going through what we call explore modules that we've built, and then doing a focus in an area that you're interested in, and how you progress through the focus is by building a series of projects 
that get harder at every objective. Mm. And so the project that Rachel's working on was the last objective of her genetic engineering focus process. Rachel, one more question. Um, as you think back on this project, what were the resources and, and people both inside TKS and outside that helped you um, connect the, the technology to the problem and to make progress? So what were the learning resources uh, that TKS connected you with or that you found that were helpful? In other words, how in the world did you do this? <laughs> so I'll start with inside TKS. So the first is directors, which are uh, absolutely amazing. So every student is in their cohort and they have usually uh, two directors that are leading their cohort. And I, throughout my two years in TKS, um, have maintained um, almost weekly calls with my directors to go over projects and advice and kind of where to go. So in the beginning, when I was kind of first learning, because also like I didn't know about gene editing or CRISPR, or any of this stuff before entering into TKS. So when I first came into TKS, I would have these calls with directors to just kind of like understand more about not only these technologies, but kind of like how to think about them and the mentality to kind of use when going through research papers, which is kind of the, the second um, thing that I'll say. So outside of TKS then um, is definitely a lot of research papers for something scientific like gene editing and CRISPR. It's uh, great resources just looking on Google Scholar, which I did a lot and just typing up keywords like agriculture and CRISPR, you know, or different keywords like that and finding really neat uh, research papers and just annotating them, going through, because there's a lot of words at the beginning, which I had no clue what they meant. So I need to go through. And then it's a very time consuming process because you have to break down exactly what each of these words mean and kind of piece it together. And then at that point, after I would go through these research papers, then I would reach out to uh, the, uh, the, the writers of the research paper and then have a call with them. So I also have started a podcast through TKS and I'd have uh, the authors of different research papers that I read on my podcast to kind of talk about it more and dig a lot deeper into further questions that I would have. And then through this um, kind of uh, multifaceted almost approach of talking to directors, uh, reading research papers, and then uh, also talking with researchers in the field, I could kind of connect the dots between um, what I was learning in TKS, like the mentality to approach solving big problems and curiosity and all of these mindsets that led to problems. Were, were you surprised that experts in the field were willing to talk to you? I was so surprised. That is such a good question because I never thought that at the beginning of TKS. That was my mentality. I said, who would want to talk to me, a then, you know, 15-year-old about this? I don't even know it, but I was very surprised at how willing and helpful people were, um, like researchers in the field. And yeah, this goes for any young person, I think are very, very willing. I have another question. Why in the world are you doing this? Like you, you, you're a, you're a full-time high school student and you're, you're killing it, uh, doing leading edge research. Why are you doing it? Like what's, what's the incentive here for you for TKS in this particular project? The short answer is because I love it a lot. Um, I just really enjoy the process of reading research papers and connecting these dots between problems and different technologies. 
So I really, like, I remember when I first came into TKS, I was not into science or technology. I think the first time I heard the word gene editing was actually on the TKS website when I was scrolling through. And I really, and I still do, I really enjoy the process of just learning these new things and kind of following my curiosity. And then I think also now this has developed throughout the program is I have developed this really deep love and passion for solving problems, which is something that I'm thinking about a lot right now as I'm kind of in my going into my last year in high school and thinking about what I want to do after high school. And that's something that has kind of really fueled me in all of my projects is that I really like um, the real world application, how I'm like, it's I'm just not just like I'm reading research papers for hours. There's something that I'm doing this for, kind of something bigger than myself, which in my case is you know, trying to make a bit of a dent and hopefully one day, you know, pave the path to eventually, you know, solve some of these big problems. And in my case, that is food insecurity and malnutrition and poverty. Rachel, that's awesome. Thank you. Um, uh, Theodore, um, how does a 15-year-old from, are you from Montreal? Yeah, I'm from Montreal. Um, how do you get interested in lithium-ion battery um, productivity? I'm So Rachel was in the second year. I was in the first year of TKS. And so I just graduated the first year. She graduated the second year. And so during this entire year, um, I kind of realized that my main passion is in climate tech and climate technology. In other words, alternative energy. I think climate change is one of the biggest problems that we're facing currently. And I really feel this right now because there are tons of forest fires everywhere in Canada and the air quality in Montreal is terrible. I can't even go for runs anymore, which is something I, I love doing, right? So to, to not decrease our quality of life, we need to convert all of our energy sources to renewables and stop relying on a fossil future, right? And so... At first, I was just reading one day and I looked into lithium ion batteries and I was like, oh, wow, this is really cool. And in TKS, you're supposed to write articles on what you're interested into. And my brother had done the program last year uh, and he uh, just graduated the second year. He's, uh, with, uh, he's an alumni with Rachel. They're very good friends, right? So I saw how much he grew through the program and I was like, okay, well, I'm going to write an article on lithium ion batteries and I'm going to learn more about you know, alternative energy, right? So I wrote an article on lithium ion batteries. I started reaching out to experts. And what I realized was that experts love, experts love people who are interested in the same thing. Even though you're not an expert yourself, they love sharing knowledge with you. That's what they love doing, right? So after reaching out to a ton of professors, I reached out to one of the professors uh, close to me at UCAM Battery Labs. And he said, well, if you ever want to come by and build a lithium-ion battery, you can. So from that, I built a lithium-ion battery, and that was my second project um, in, in TKS, right? And then from that, since I built that lithium-ion battery, they are like, okay, well, you can do an inter internship. So part-time, uh, every two weeks or so, when I have an off day off of school, right, I go on like Friday or Mondays or something like that, where I go and I work with a PhD student on improving the ionic conductivity of a battery. Not to go into too much technical depth, but essentially um, the ionic conductivity of a battery is how well the ions flow through a lithium ion battery. And so 
if your ions are moving in a straight line, then the productivity of your lithium ion battery and the energy density of your lithium ion battery is really good. But if you're, if you're, if your lithium ions are, are like zigzagging through basically the electrolyte, which is the middle part between the anode and the cathode, well, there's going to be a problem, right? Uh, and you're not going to have that a great ionic conductivity and you're not going to have a great productivity out of this battery, right? So I was working on a P with a PhD student on this project uh, for the last few months, right? Um, outside of that, then I was building projects in the um, renewable aviation space. So in the summer, while I'm doing some of the lab internship stuff, I'll also be doing a hybrid internship where I'll be working on hybrid electric planes and electric planes which th with this company called Cert Center Canada. And so um, I can't go there full time because, you know, I, as a 15 year old, I'm not certified. And if I make a mistake, the plane falls. Right. So like we don't want that. Right. But um, I'm going to be doing a lot of remote work. And while I do that remote work, I'll be going to the lab. So I'll be doing two internships this summer and both really interest me. If, if your work is successful, how will batteries uh, be better? Will they be um, lighter, cheaper, uh, more efficient? What's, what's the goal? So, yeah. So I was working with a PhD student on this um, project. And what I kind of realized is that optimizing lithium-ion batteries, I don't think, is the way to go. And to be to be more specific, the problem I really want to solve is decarbonizing the energy grid. So 27% of all global emissions come from electricity production. We rely on com combusting fossil fuels to produce electricity, right? But we have renewable sources like solar and wind that work really well. You know, they can produce electricity really well. The problem is that they're, they're already very cheap and in some places, they're cheaper than natural gas. The problem is that when the sun isn't shining and the wind isn't blowing, well, we can't have that energy, right? So in what world would we like, just like, like stop having electricity at night, you know, like no more heating, you know, like that nobody would convert to renewables, right? So what you need to do is basically take the energy, the excess energy from solar panels during the day when it's producing a lot, you store that. And then during the night, you discharge it and produce electricity, right? So that you have a 24-7 energy grid, you know? The problem is that lithium-ion batteries right now are too costly. And even though they're storing energy very efficiently, to make the cost go down, there's a lot of problems with that because they have supply chain issues, because they have tons of materials that they have to import and ship. And there's just, there's a, and when they decay, they're terrible for the environment. So what I realized while working in the lab was that lithium ion batteries aren't actually the way of solving energy storage. And so right now, during the summer, my main project is figuring out either how could I make a better battery, one that doesn't use special materials or doesn't have supply chain issues, maybe bacterial batteries or organic batteries, or looking into other alternative energy solutions. I want to jump in uh, quickly because... I think if, if people are listening to this, they're sensing a very strong enthusiasm and passion for what these young people are working on. And it's, it's not normal for a young person to get excited about building batteries or genetically engineering uh, food to increase crop production. And that's very intentional in TKS. Like if you meet a TKS student, they'll be super excited talking about projects they're working on because 
one of the things that we realized very early is desire is direction. As an educator, it's usually the educator pushing the student, you know, like (laughs) you got to motivate them, you got to push them, you got to hold them accountable. But as soon as you get someone to have internal energy and internal motivation, you can really unlock them because that's when they'll start pushing you and saying, hey, I'm stuck. What can I do? Can you help me with this? And it switches. But you got to figure out what excites them, what clicks with them. And the best way to do that is starting with what we call an explore stage. First, help them look at a lot of different areas, a lot of different topics. I mean, in TKS, it's usually emerging technologies and global problems, but you could do it with same thing with music, same thing with art. Uh, It's not limited to just emerging technologies, but the whole idea is go through a breadth of different things very quickly, not for the sake of learning, but for the sake of exposure. It's like trying to figure out what your favorite food is. You're not going to figure out your favorite food if you eat salads all day, right? You got to have chocolate, then you got to have steak, and then you got to have fish, and then you got to have pasta, and you just try a little bit of everything. But as soon as you have lasagna, you're like, oh, that is my favorite food. I love lasagna. And then you can go deep in the different kinds of lasagnas, right? But you got to find lasagna. And that was the insight we had. One of the many insights we've done in TKS is basically help people find their lasagna, right? Help them try a lot of these foods. In our case, again, it's these emerging areas until they find something that they get really excited by. Then when they're excited by it, use that internal motivation and convert that into doing. And that's why they're both building projects because Mm -hmm. that is the best way to learn. You got to do, you have to build things. Rachel, did, did you just finish your junior year in high school? Yeah, I just finished grade 11. Did your... Did your high school experience um, have anything to do with with the, your success in your project? Would, uh, did it have any relationship uh, to the work that you're trying to do? Yeah, I think that a lot of, so first of all, the exposure, as Naveed was just saying, to first of all, thinking about solving problems at all, and then also like knowing what technologies to use to solve these problems that came from TKS. But I'd say that my original, like the core passion and excitement that I have just to learn things and be curious has come from school and my experience in education. And even now throughout high school, I found like I've been taking the AP program and I found that my teachers are very supportive of what I'm doing. And they're also, again, which is, um, so, which was a kind of a surprising learning for me is to see that they're willing to, um, help out quite a lot, whether that is, um, so for example, like my English teacher has helped me before with like articles that I'm writing and editing them, or maybe it's, um, something like if you're, um, like sometimes if I'm working on a project and, uh, at a conference like we are right now and perhaps may like ask for an extension for like a school assignments like the teachers are super understanding but yeah I think that the 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 like passion and the foundation of kind of my life philosophies has come from school but then it's been so much it's been 10x really from TKS the program the community and everything that I've learned in the past two years of being in TKS. That's great. I'm I'm glad uh, the high school gave you that foundation. I, I've been thinking that TKS could be the AP program. Maybe instead of 
those boring AP classes, uh, more high schools had a, access to a, a TKS program. We're actually with the, uh, the deputy uh, director of uh, the IB program, right? And one of the things that we were talking about before this is credentialization. And I think uh, the struggle globally right now is actually balancing credentialization with education and understanding that they're not necessarily the same thing anymore. And so how do we actually uh, either understand that they're different things and optimize for education differently than credentialization or figure out how do you blend them better? Because right now it's this weird middle ground where we kind of know the information we're learning in a lot of courses are not actually used in real life, but they are the most important things because that's how we get the grades to get to university and, and progress. Uh, I want to help you solve that problem, Naveed. Um, Theo, it's got to be a cool experience for you being in Switzerland talking about climate change with young people from all over the world. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, have you learned anything new? Um, or have you taught uh, a few people a thing or two about batteries while you're there? <laughs> um, so right now the conference is just starting. Uh, we, we, we started it today and we were talking to uh, experts and, and really awesome people. I think the, the biggest learnings for me so far in the conference has just been talking to Naveed and Nadeem. Um, I think it's, I think, I think I, I just underestimated how smart these people are. And I think um, when you're just exposed to, to people like Naveed and Nadeem and to people like the directors, like my director, Jenna, she built, uh, well, she was part of the founding team of this billion dollar Christmas-like company, you know? And my director, Pranav, has worked with over 100 startups and consulted with over 100 startups from going from like small startup to like unicorn, you know? So when you're talking to these really, really amazing people like Naveed and Nadeem, like my directors, um, you're just exposed to like a whole different world, you know? Like this, and it's, you're, you're exposed to people who are really smart, you know? And like, so Naveed and Nadeem have been really stretching my brain with how many insights we're talking about. And they know so much about new technologies after seven years of, you know, talking to people in the program. So they've been mentoring me a lot with my projects. I think part of why he's also saying that is today, there was a lot of conversations on AI and on education and the future of AI and education. And for them, it's like normal because their friends are building these AI products, you know, um, they've been working on AI the whole year, they've been thinking about the future of education. And so it's interesting how we have people from, you know, the World Economic Forum, or from the IB programs, or, or whatever the case is, talk about things that, for them, I think are very basic now, because to that, it's like obvious, like, oh, yeah, of course, education needs to change. And of course, we need to leverage machine learning for personalized learning and, and enhanced learning. Um, and I think there's this huge gap between talking about it and actually doing. And how do we bridge that faster instead of just talking and talking? Like, for example, GPT-4 and ChatGPT is banned from a lot of schools. And we talk a lot about it being banned. But how do we talk about solutions so we can enable it? You know, because, of course, I think most teachers want to enable it. They just don't know how. And so instead of talking about why it shouldn't be banned, maybe we should switch it a little bit and say, what would need to be true for us to enable it? Like, what's the plan? And a lot of these kids have the ideas, you know? So we have the, the older generation having the conversations, 
and the young people being affected by the outcome versus include the young people in the conversations, help them be part of the ideation. Now, whether or not you want to take the ideas or not, that's separate. Now you can implement it, but at least have them be part of providing ideas because they have it and I've seen it yeah. and I've seen what they're building. I want to I wanna augment on what Naveed said just about like t- um, how it's become normal for me. I think once you, you like once you put a lot of work into TKS and you've met some really amazing people through the program and you're you're doing and everyone's doing these amazing projects, your bar for normal is like not normal. You know what I mean? Like I'm I'm just like I, I like I have normal casual conversations where I'm like, oh yeah, you're building like this, you know, you got four hundred thousand dollars in funding for this education startup. You know what I mean? Like, oh yeah, like you're building like, you know, neurochips to like put into the brain. Oh yeah, you're like trying to improve the yields in Malawi. Like everything just becomes like like the bar for normal. Like that's just normal to me now, you know? And <laughs> like it's not I don't I don't even get surprised by that anymore because and so I think like everyone's bar is lifted because we're we're around a really amazing community. Theo and Rachel, you Give me hope for uh, life on planet Earth. I, I love the projects that you're working on and the enthusiasm and insight that you're bringing to those topics. Um, Naveed, just more than anything in life, I want to see more young people engaged in work like this. Do you, these are obviously two exceptional young people, but can we scale this kind of work? Can we engage more people around the world in, in work that matters? I think we can. You know, the funny thing is I just chose them randomly from the from the other students that were here. So it's not like they were cherry picked or anything for this conversation. Um, I think it's very possible to, to scale what we're doing. I think my goal is for TKS to be uh, inspiration for different new styles of training and coaching. And I use those words in, on purpose, not teaching or educating. I think coaching is probably where we're moving towards when we think about the education space. Um, and I want educators and schools and institutions to look at TKS, not with a mindset of that's unique, that's different. We can't do it. Um, they only have, you know, the genius kids in the program. That's not the case. Like you heard from both of them. They didn't know anything about these topics before. Naveed, does this, does this kind of work have to sit outside of school as they're, is there a bridge here? Can we do more of this in school? Would this be school? <laughs> I think there's three pieces. The first one is forget all the emerging technology fancy words. One of the biggest things we do in TCAS is training mindsets. So there's a mindset of the week, every single week. And part of the mindsets help you shape your character. And so whatever you're hearing and watching Theo and Rachel talk about, it, it's the outcome is because of a lot of different mindsets that they've ingrained. So maybe you think they're confident. Well, that's one of the mindsets that we have. It's boss mentality, right? Maybe you think they're enthusiastic. Well, we talk about enthusiasm in TKS, right? So I think as a just as a base, you can train mindsets in schools and organizations. Then on top of that, if you want to add in exposure to emerging technologies or the future, we even have free resources on our website called Future Class. And if you as a teacher wanted to spend 10 minutes at the beginning of a class and just take one of those resources and just play it to your students, you can just start you know, giving your kids exposed to what the future might look like, right? We have history class, but why don't we have future class? And I think it's 
not actually as difficult as we think. And then the last thing I will say is I think what holds a lot of educators back, because I, I'm friends with a lot of educators, of course, this is the world I'm in now, is the, is the curriculums and the standardized testing. And so I don't know what the solution is yet from their perspective, but I think if universities are actually a little bit more flexible on their filter mechanisms, and let's say they started weighting the essay more, or let's say they started weighting projects more, then I think that would trickle down more into the uh, high school world and enable and encourage that behavior. So I do think that the university uh, application and filter system does dictate how we train and teach young people and the content that we, that we give them. So that's kind of one of my conversations I'm having right now with a lot of people in, in that position is how do we actually um, start adapting the requirements to be accepted to university because I do think that influences the systems that come before that. Yeah. Uh, just to augment what he said, um, there's there's um, what I've kind of realized. I just don't want like the takeaway from this podcast to be like, oh, me and Rachel are like the exception. You know, like I think what I've realized is that it's just we were trained that way. And I, the perfect example of this is like last year I was an underachiever. You know, like I wouldn't like, you know, I, I would just like try to not fail, you know, like I would get like, you know, 70s, 60s, something like that. Now I'm like, because I was exposed to these mindsets, because I, I fueled my curiosity, I'm doing way better in school, actually. Like my average is, is, is like has gone from like 60s and 70s to like 90s and 95s, you know, and then I'm also just doing better in like violin because I, I, I love playing music, right? Before I, I would I wouldn't practice. Now I practice like one hour every day. You know, so these these mindsets and these and the training we get don't just like they're not just like oh we build cool projects like they trickle down in every single aspect of your life, right? So um, yeah, like we're, we're not me and Rachel like we're totally normal like two years <laughs> or one year ago. And Can more people do the kind of work you're doing, Rachel? Oh, I think a hundred percent. And I mean, I have friends at school who just from uh, like the things that I've learned in TKS and now having conversations with them, now they're getting curious. And even, you know, without being in TKS in the program now, they're doing research on their own, which I think is phenomenal. So I think that, yeah, just to say what Theo was, just to echo what Theo was saying, it's no exception. I mean, as I was saying, research, uh, research papers, anybody can go, you know, check out research papers and, you know, find something that they're curious about, go down a big rabbit hole and yeah, it's available to everyone. Tom, I had a question for you actually. So you've done a lot of podcasts. You've talked to a lot of different people working on interesting things. Um, what, what's exciting for you about TKS? You know, like why did you guys email me back and why are we doing a part two? And what's the thing that you think educators can learn from TKS after having exposure to both worlds? Given what's happening in the world, how fast things are changing, how quickly education's being obsoleted, um, I think the most important response is uh, inviting learners into work that matters, inviting them to be difference makers, um, supporting them uh, by helping them frame up community and client-connected projects and supporting that with mentorship and skill building, uh, with mindset development. And you're just the best example in the world, David. And we, we just super 
appreciate what you're doing, um, how you're doing it, that you're uh, trying to scale this program and make it uh, accessible to more young people. And just in doing so, you're changing the world. I think you're doing the most important work in the world. And we hope that it is, um, it's, a, it's a great example for people both in and outside of, of formal education. Uh, so we deeply appreciate you and your work. Uh, Rachel and Theo, great to meet you guys. Thanks for the work you're doing. You're super inspiring. Enjoy the conference. Thanks for being with us, guys. Thank you, Thank you so much. Uh, until next week, uh, keep learning, keep leading, keep innovating for equity. Thanks for tuning in to the Getting Smart podcast today. We want this podcast to be actionable, insightful, and a great way to learn about what's next in learning. In order to stay on the cutting edge, we need people in the field to tell us what they're hearing, what they're wanting, and what they're needing to learn more about. Got a topic or a guest in mind? Send your recommendations to me, Mason at gettingsmart.com. And if you like what you're hearing, don't forget to leave a review in Apple Podcasts or subscribe wherever you listen. Feel free to share the podcast on social media using the hashtag GSPodcasts. Thanks so much.